Hello, Grace Covenant. It's good to see you. My name is Brett. I happen to be pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome to our house. We sure are glad to have you here. Well, we are beginning a new series uh, for the month of August on small groups and what it means to be in relationship with one another. To come on Sunday morning is important, absolutely critical to your progress. But if you're, not, if you're not connected throughout the week, if you don't find yourself really drawn to other people to pray for them, to support them, or people drawn to you, then, then we're missing out, you're missing out, on a major portion of an asset that God has, has provided for you to be great in his kingdom. Sunday morning, you're engaged, and worship is happening, and you're enjoying it, and you're learning something from me or whoever is holding the stage. But when you're in a small group, when you're in a home, in an environment where you can also participate by asking questions and getting to know people who can support you and you can pray for them, things change. Something, some dynamic that is not present here on Sunday morning happens there just as there are dynamics that happen here that cannot happen there. And we are trying as a people to well round out your Christian experience. We want you to have a panoramic view and experience of what God wants you to be and do in his kingdom. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about how you need to be involved in small groups. Our passage today is taken out of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul is writing, and he's writing to the church at Colossae. And he says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for all those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all of the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Two points I'd like to emphasize today. One, the struggle. Two, the stitching. Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. Paul was an apostle who was more than just one in name. It just wasn't a title he had on his business card. He cared for the people to whom he had ministered. He loved them. And in his absence, when he couldn't be there, he had them in his heart. Later on in this passage, in fact, he says, though I am not with you in body, I am with you in spirit. When we talk about the care that we have for, for other people, do we care like that? Is there anybody with whom and for whom you struggle? The word struggle there is, is the word agon, where we get our English for agonize. It actually means to contest in the Greek. Anybody for whom you struggle on a regular basis and contest in the spirit for their well-being? Is there anybody that you carry in your heart so deeply that you can feel when they're struggling even when you haven't heard from them and that causes you to struggle. Oh, all of us struggle with our kids. We want them to be great and 
we do everything we possibly can, both in prayer and finances and, and talking and, and education, we, whatever we can, can do to support them. We struggle with them through the difficulty. We struggle with our friends that we see on a regular basis. We struggle with our spouses. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say with. For. <laughs> For. Our loved ones, people that we're close to, oh, that's an easy struggle because we are connected to them on a regular basis. And if you're not struggling, at least for those people, something is really wrong with you. It's an evidence that you aren't really connected to them because everybody is going through difficulty. There's not a person on the planet that doesn't encounter some kind of mountain that they must overcome. And there's no way they can usually, usually do it on their own. And so you must help them in their struggle to overcome. So it's natural to try to figure out how you can help people who are close to you. But Paul wasn't in proximity to these people. Oh yes, he may have been there. We're not quite sure whether he had visited before. He says, I've not personally seen some of the people's faces. So maybe the church had grown since he had been there and added a lot of people whom he didn't know. Or maybe he'd never been there. Either way, this man was not in proximity to the place to which he was writing. And yet he said, I struggle. He may not have communicated with any of these folk for three or four years. Yet he carried them in, their, in his heart. Anybody you got like that? Anybody at all. When people, when people describe struggle to me usually, it's, it's, it's in relationship to how bad they're doing. How you doing? Oh, pastor, I'm just struggling. I'm just struggling. Well, I know what that means. I'm involved in sin. I don't know how to get out. I got issues in my brain. I don't know how to unresolve. Knots that are just untieable I got things in my soul unforgiveness and bitterness I got issues with my loved ones I, I just don't know what to do they're struggling struggling to try to extricate themselves from the sinful desires they've got that's not what Paul's talking about at all he's talking about struggling for somebody else's progress anybody you got like that outside of your loved ones when we talk about small groups, small groups allows us the privilege of connecting with other people for whom we can struggle and who can struggle for you. In Paul's absence, he struggled. And what does that look like? I mean, how do you struggle for someone when you're not with them? The best way I know experientially, or the best ways I know, are through constant intercession. Not just offering up a little prayer, Lord, help, please. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Better that than nothing. Happy that you're communicating with God on behalf of others any way you possibly can. But there is a struggle in prayer that goes beyond the perfunctory goes beyond the regiment that relationally ties you to the person and to God at the same time and you feel what that person is feeling and you feel what God is feeling for that person and you cannot release the burden the need for them to be to be free from whatever they're going through or come into whatever they need to come into you can't release it until God prays it through you there's a struggle that happens there 
I live in that environment. Church, although I am not Paul, nowhere close to being anything identified with this man's stature or influence. There's no question that daily, though I do not see you, I struggle for you. In prayer at 2 a.m., all day long in my soul, for our unity, knowing that there are things that would drive us apart. I struggle every day to try to figure out how to keep us together and keep us moving. It's not just for the 35 minutes you hear me preach. It's on the Wednesdays when I spend two hours trying to digest and trying to massage the scriptures so that I can present them in a way that is not only accurate, but is relevant. I struggle in prayer. I struggle relationally. We are a reconciled people. We are not a partisan people. That does not mean we deny the truths that are certain to our own ethnicities. But it means that sometimes we diminish our need in order to to come into somebody else's and help them fulfill theirs. Why? For the unity of the body. Oh, there are places that need help on the wall. Nehemiah had a task of taking people who were ill-equipped to help build. A construction project without construction workers. Perfumers he was using. Priests. I tell you what, I'm one of them. I'm I'm, I'm in the priestly category. I can't build nothing. Nothing. Anything I build, it leans a little bit. It's missing screws. Parts are left over whenever I put stuff together. I'm not good at that. But Nehemiah had me working on a wall, doing a construction project as a mason guy when I'm not a mason. Everybody had their own little world. Nehemiah had the vision for the entire wall. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be diligent in your own little world. Your own little specific spot that God has given you on the wall. Thank God for your diligence because you are building something. But my job is to think about the entire wall. Not just what's most important to me. I struggle daily. To make sure we are people that are unified and different in our day. That we might speak to the heavens about what God died for. That we might display something of a unity and a a, a harmony and a relational connection. That is more than just window dressing. I struggle. For whom is it that you struggle? Is there a people? Is there a person? Paul just represents what maturity looks like, that's all. If you're struggling for yourself more than you're struggling for anybody else, you probably need to. But it also references, reflects where you are in maturity. At some point, we got to grow to struggle for other people and get past our own issues because folks are hurting and and get this if all of us grow to the point where we are struggling for somebody else everybody's need gets met everybody's desires get fulfilled nobody's lacking because somebody has somebody else covered. 
But if we are all struggling for our own progress, we take all the scriptures that are most important for the benefit of the whole, and we reduce them down to the individual, and everybody lives in their own spiritual silo, and we wind up all selfishly trying to figure out how to fulfill the will of God, and somehow that's oxymoronic to everything that, that Christ died for. For whom do you struggle? Small groups give us the opportunity of tying ourselves to people intentionally. Yes, it's artificial. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're doing it artificially, meaning combining you with people you don't know organizationally because you're not doing it on your own. <laughs> it's got to happen one way or another. The Sunday morning is artificial. It's not like all of a sudden the Holy Ghost just inspired every one of us, all 700 of us at the same time, and, 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 and woke us up and said, oh, come over to 4600 Brookfield. No, 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 we set a time and you showed up. Same thing with a small group. Things will happen there as a result of an artificial, artificial gathering, bringing people together, and the Holy Spirit will explode things down on the inside of you so that you can begin to struggle for somebody else and somebody else can struggle for you. And I'm, I'm about convinced that there is, there's no way that we can make it without somebody struggling for us. Forgive my emotion, but I know I did not get here without Daryl and Jewel struggling for me, without Chris and Tamar struggling for me, without Duke Bendix, without Jim Critcher, Jim LaFoon, Keith Temple, the Glovers, so many others who have struggled for me and prayed for me. Secondly, the stitch. Paul said, I struggle for you and those at Laodicea <clears throat> that your hearts may be knit together in love he first says that you may be encouraged having your hearts been having your hearts having been ah, your hearts having been knit together in love and then attaining to all the wealth that comes so that you may get the understanding and of a full knowledge of Christ Jesus himself. So he prefaces the encouragement being, being that which is based on being knit together. Struggle for them to be encouraged having been knit together in love. And the word knit there is, is, is actually the kind of idea whereby people are, are walking in, together in step that it, it's, it's like an army that is moving together at the same time, each step in sync with the next guy, knit together. And when you see that kind of thing, it's more than just impressive when the army moves together. There's something implied. They worked hard to get that. That doesn't happen when you're walking on the corner of 14th and K downtown. Folk aren't walking like that. They're walking in their, their own gate. How did they get like that? 
they decided to be like that because they want to display unity in all they do they are one people made up of a hundred individuals yet they are thinking as one Paul says I struggle that you may have your hearts stitched together like that stepping at the same we walking together as a people now we're not talking about clones we're not talking about some kind of weird control whereby you've got to do everything just like I do it please you are an individual but there are times when God calls us to move as a people and those times are many many it's it's not the unusual we're called to move as a people to reach our community whether it's camps we do here at church or whether we go to to Yorkshire Elementary or or, or we, we go downtown to do the homeless or whether we go to serve the orphans in Africa or whether we send our kids over to Fair Oaks Mall and evangelize on a given three-day mission trip and they see eight kids one to the Lord meaning yes our 14 15 and 16 year olds using the God test which is a, a an evangelistic tool that we have here in the congregation to equip people to go out and talk to folk about God and they saw eight people cold calls in the mall born again how does that happen except that somebody says we're going to do this together and there are more things that the 3,500 of us who call this place home will have to do together and the only way we can do it together is if we hear the same sound on a regular basis if we are connected at different levels than just on Sunday morning if we have the same vision down on the inside of our soul if we beat together as one heart that can't happen just on Sunday that has to happen throughout the week Sunday is a download it's a deposit it's good it's great but you gotta have another one and another one and another it takes a long time to become unified knit having our hearts knit together with whom is your heart knit have you been stitched to somebody I've been stitched to people some of them I wouldn't have chosen nor would they have chosen me but I'm glad God chose us Pastor Jim is not somebody I would naturally be be drawn to nor him to me North Carolina boy involved in classical guitar he was over in the music session uh, section I was a jock I was on a football scholarship we never would have ever crossed paths and if we did I don't even know if we'd said hello yet the Holy Ghost has divinely put us together and oh I am so happy and it's more than just a job our hearts have been stitched together And you know what that does? The resultant is tremendous encouragement. Tremendous encouragement. Because every time I start feeling a little weak, I can go to my buddy who is stitched to my heart, and all of a sudden I feel better. He strengthens me. And I have not only him, but I got a bunch of folks sewn up on the inside of my soul. And I am sewn up on the inside of them. Relationships happen like this in small group this is where you can join with people and tie with people 
This is where you can bring folk who are alienated from the kingdom, hostile in mind and sometimes engaged in evil deeds. And you can bring them into an environment that is safe and all of a sudden they will feel something they've never felt before. Because small groups is not just for the church. Small group, a small group environment is supposed to be a safe place where, where you can bring people who don't know Jesus and they can feel loved on. You need that kind of environment. It's not just you going out and winning somebody to Jesus, although I would love for that to happen. I'd love for you to share this gospel with somebody on a regular basis, daily if possible, if not weekly, as often as you have opportunity. That would be really good. But generally, you need, you need a village to raise a sinner. <laughs> So why not bring all these other people you know in a small group into the relational environment and let that person come in there and let them feel all of your brothers and sisters. All those folk that go by the same name as you, Christian, who have the same father and let them feel what the family is like. And now they'll be lovingly double teamed and triple teamed. And now three, four folks will be able to struggle for them. This is where hearts are knit for more than just feeling secure, but so that we can advance our cause in the earth. Our cause. The cause of Christ in the earth. He says that we might attain to the full assurance of understanding. Well, that's what I'm trying to give you today. A full assurance of understanding. What Paul's talking about. If you had read this passage on your own, maybe you Bible scholars out there would have gotten everything and more that I'm trying to communicate to you today. And if you could have, wonderful on you. Happy for you. But most folk don't. I live in this Bible. I love my Bible. Every time I read it, I get something new. And so I'm doing my best to try to parse and reverse engineer what Paul put together. Why did he say what he said? What was he going for? Who were the people to whom he was speaking? And what, were the, what were the circumstances under which he was writing? What did he know that's not said here? What's implied? How do we find that out without circumventing the real message and trying to apply it just to our own lives without understanding the original intent. All those things are very important to interpreting scripture and then making application. And Paul says, I want you to have a full assurance of understanding. And he doesn't say about what. He just said, I want you to understand everything you need to. Everything. Redemption. Your purpose. Why you are with somebody else. Why he put you with that person you don't want to be with. Which is the next point. That we might attain to all the wealth. What wealth? Well, it would be improper for us just to apply that to money. Though I don't think you can exclude finances from that because he says all wealth. But I think he's talking much more about the spiritual wealth that comes from understanding everything you need to understand. First of all, let's talk about the wealth that you need to understand that is on the inside of the person sitting next to you right now. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, 
Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling you, meaning why he called you, what is his hope, what was the hope he had when he called you, and what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Now that has two applications, the last part, meaning there is an inheritance that Christ has in his church for, for uh, regarding that for which he died. That because he died on the cross, he gets us as an inheritance. And there is also an inheritance on the inside of somebody that is waiting for you to tap into. There's, there's gold in them their hills. God has put gold down on the inside of the person's heart who's sitting next to you. And that gold is for you. To understand something about who they are. To be enriched by their experience. To find value in their perspective. The Christian life is not intended to be lived in solitaire. I get enriched by hanging out with my brothers. And sometimes I feel because they may not treat me as well as I would like or they feel because I don't treat them as well as they would like that I am making too many withdrawals and not enough input, not enough deposits. I'm, I'm requiring more of them than they want to give. That I'm doing things that now make them expend and write checks that they are unwilling to write. They have to forgive me. They have to be tolerant with me. They have to be patient with me. And all those things make them to have a tendency in the flesh to not want to be with me because I'm too difficult to deal with. However, there may be a time when I'm, I get right. I might just get, I might just get right. And if they distance themselves from me, they're going to distance themselves from the inheritance, the treasure that God has put on the inside of me. And when I get right, they will not be inheritors. Are you listening to me? The devil wants to take you away from your inheritance by using the offense of the other party against you. Now the beautiful thing is this, he has given you a well that does not end. A bottomless reservoir of forgiveness and mercy and kindness. That's why he said in Galatians, this kind of fruit, the love, joy, peace, Galatians 5, 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, with meekness, all the fruit of the spirit, there's no law against them. You can have as much, you don't have to diet on this. You don't have to ration love. You don't have to look at the back of the container to look at, 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 at the ingredients and see how many calories there are. You can actually have as much as you want. There's no law against it. You can have as much kindness as you want, as much patience as you want. So though you may feel taxed by my insecurities and my selfishness, there is a bottomless reservoir that allows you the privilege of overcoming my issues that you might get my wealth. Oh, Jesus. That's just one aspect of the wealth. There's so much more that we don't get and don't understand and we leave our inheritance over there. 
You know people die not knowing that their relatives left them something? Christians are the same way. We leave most of our inheritance behind us. We never access it while we're here. God help us. The goal of my life is to have nobody say at my funeral, boy, he had such potential. Potential is that stuff you want to use up. You don't want to say that. I beg you, don't leave your inheritance because you got hurt. In fact, that may be a great indicator that there's a whole lot of wealth down on the inside of that person. And so hang in there. Your offense might just be the, the, the clue about where the buried treasure is. And then he says, I want you to have this knowledge which is a mystery. It, it almost seems as if Paul is using terms that are diametrically opposite. How can you get knowledge of a mystery? If it's a mystery, nobody can figure it out. So you are bereft of knowledge. Yet it, it's a mystery that is available to the discerning. You got the right key, you can unlock the door. You don't have the right key. You're always looking on the, on the outside thinking, I wonder what, what's on the other side of that door. And I can't get there. But if you got the key, you can get in. A mystery. A mystery. Paul had a bunch of mysteries that he spoke of. There was a mystery of marriage. There's a mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles. In marriage, he talks about in Ephesians 5, the mystery of the Jew and the Gentiles being joined together. It talks about that in Ephesians 3. There are a bunch of mysteries. Here he talks about the, the knowledge of the mystery, which is Christ himself. Oh, and there's so much in that. Christ becoming, becoming, well, the Son of God becoming man and not compromising either identities, his deity or his humanity, in order to be such. It's a mystery. We can't, we can't figure that out. He wasn't a man-God, and he wasn't a God-man. He was all God, and he was all man. I can't, I can't figure that out. I can't figure that out, but I know it to be true. And the, the more keys I get about how much he loves me and how that this was the only way redemption could, could be brought about, the only way, the more keys I get, the more the mystery becomes knowledge to me. And though there are things my mind will never be able to figure out because God is bigger than our brains. He gives us the privilege of access in some areas. Other areas, we just have to wait till we get to glory. He's bigger than us. But where I get to the place where I cannot figure it out, I don't, I don't allow myself to just become confused and give up and say that doesn't make any sense. That's where I worship and say you are all that and more than I can understand. And what I do understand is more than enough for me to worship you. 
you gave more than anybody else has ever given to me. And just because I can't figure it all out doesn't give me the right to question you. I thank you for sending your son to die for me. And that which you privileged me to figure out, thank you. That which I cannot, I worship you for. I don't sacrifice my intellect on the altar of theology. I do not. I work really hard at trying to figure out as much as I possibly can. But where God puts a stop sign, that's where I worship and not quit. The mystery. Paul says, I want you to come to the true knowledge because when we get more of an, an, an understanding of who Christ is, we can become better to one another because we realize what he did for us, we're supposed to do for everybody else. Jesus tried to help them as I close with the greatest commandment. The disciples just couldn't figure it out and the, the popular theologians were working it as best they could to manipulate the populace. And uh, you know, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the love your neighbor as yourself part, folk could just kind of work it the way they wanted. So I'm not loving myself very much today, so I love you like I love me. And Jesus said in John 13, he said, I'm going to break it down for you real clear. I give you a new commandment. Now, the word new doesn't mean he was adding one to the ten. It means fresh. I'm... I'm, I'm going to have a, a refresh button on this commandment. Like I've loved you, you love everybody else. Is that hard? Can you not figure that out? So if I never figure out what the seventh horn on the lamb that rose out of the sea was in the book of Revelation, that's all right by me. Because I know how much he loved me. And I know what I'm responsible to do. I'm supposed to love you. Like he loved me. Small groups give you the opportunity of doing that on a regular basis. It's hard to love people in here. Theologically you can. Experientially, hard. Because we're all trying to get our kids when we finish. We're all trying to get our cars so that we don't have to stand and put, you know, be in the line out here on, on daily. And we're trying to get out of here as best we know how. Eh, it's, it, you, at best, you can hug somebody's neck and, and reaffirm your connection. But to really love somebody takes time. Small groups give you the opportunity to connect with people in time so that you can love them practically. My goal would be that you would struggle, not just for your own life, but for everybody else. And that, that we would fulfill Paul's desire in finding our hearts stitched, knit, tied together, so that we can do something great for God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace that you would help everybody this morning, me too, to hear this word and to struggle for one another. To hear this word and commit 
to stitch ourselves to somebody, some people, and to, to, to dig in the wells of other people to attain the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding and get all the mystery of the knowledge of who you are and be encouraged in these Help us, O oh Lord, to become the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, love you. You're the best. Have a great week.